Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we will be discussing the match day 24 and 25 in the Premier League since we had midweek fixtures as well as uh, weekend fixtures this week. So a lot of games to cover here. We can start off uh, with a, I I know Garrett's going to have strong opinions about this one, very up and down week for Everton, starting out uh, against Newcastle at St. James's Park. Everton went and it was very interesting because the first goal came uh, from Jamal Lascelles, an own goal for ever, to, to put Everton up 1-0. Uh, it came off of you know, Holgate to, to Lascelles, and then a minute later, we get the opposite, Lascelles to Holgate own goal uh, to make it 1-1. It was then Ryan Fraser and Kieran Trippier to make it 3-1 to Newcastle, a massive win for them it's in what can arguably call, be called a relegation six-pointer. Um, Newcastle took all three points and it was Frank Lampard's first Premier League game Uh, of course he had that uh, cup game against Brentford which he won handily but needed this win or at least to get a a point from this and and didn't so Garrett tell us about your Everton I mean I think Everton tried to do what Lampard's been saying. I mean, 61% possession, but the fact of the matter is that Newcastle were just much better, much more dangerous in the final third than Everton were. Obviously, no. Calvert-Lewin is a big miss. Um, Delhi came off the bench because Damari Gray was injured uh, towards the beginning of the game, which was another big blow. Um, And and I thought he was okay, Not, not particularly great. Um, but the real difference in this game was Alan St. Maximin because Everton just could not live with him. Um, mm-hmm. Such an extremely talented player, as we know, and one of, if not the best dribblers in the world at the moment. Um, you know, it, it's pretty impossible to defend him one-on-one, and, and especially when Everton were pushing pretty far forward, having possession, but then not doing anything with it and, you know, continually losing the ball um, in the middle of the field and then Newcastle were hitting quick. And when you have the pace of Ryan Fraser and St. Maximin on the, on the wings, um, you know, it just Everton couldn't really deal with them. Um, Yuri Mina also got injured again. Um, a quad injury. He'll be out like eight to 10 weeks is what we're hearing, which is really bad. I mean, the dude is our best center back when fit, but he is never fit and he just got back and now he got injured again. Um, I, I'm starting to think it's time for Everton to move on from him because he just, you know, what good is having, you know, a, a quality center back, center back like that when he literally never plays. Um, so, you know, the thing is that Lampard really didn't have uh, the ability to change anything because he used two subs on injuries in the first half and then Van de Beek was the only sub that he could use. So, yeah, it was definitely a disappointing performance, but luckily we bounced back on Saturday, which we'll talk about. But, um, you know, Newcastle, you obviously huge win for them. And then also they beat Villa later, which we'll talk about as well um, this weekend. And so it, it seems like they will be staying up um, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it definitely does seem that way. Uh, as you say, Alan St. Maximin, uh, it, it's really, for me, I, I love watching him play. Obviously he's a fantastic player to watch. As you say, one of the best dribblers in the world, but for me, he's in that little uh, spot where it's, does he stay and hope that Newcastle can rise to his level or does he leave and find a team that is already his level? Um, because he, I mean, he is a champions league level player. 
I don't think there's much doubt about that anymore. He is extremely talented uh, and, and one of the most fun players to watch in the Premier League, in my opinion. Can't take your eyes off him. So, yeah, as you say, he uh, took apart Everton, even though he didn't get on the score sheet. He very easily could have, uh, as well as getting on the assist score sheet, should have. But with that, we move to the London Stadium, where Watford uh, took on West Ham. And it was a really good performance from Watford. Uh, you know, they only had 35% possession, only one shot on target, but it, it's that they didn't give West Ham very many chances either. West Ham only had three shots on target with their uh, 65% possession, right? So they were getting in around the box. They were pressuring Watford, but not creating a ton of chances, uh, which was really, really good for Watford. And it was really an unlucky way to lose. Uh, Watford lost 1-0 on a Jared Bowen really a wicked deflection uh, about 25 yards out and he had a go. Ben Foster had already dove one way uh, and the ball just went the other. He had no chance to save it um, deflection off the defender. So Bowen gets credited with a goal, but certainly lucky. Yeah. I, I think you summed that up pretty well. The fact that, you know, the goal came from a deflection um, you know, it was unlucky from, from Watford definitely put it in a good shift um, I don't think the same could really be said about their home game against Brighton on Saturday. But as you know, I said earlier, we'll get onto those weekend games a little bit later. Love those foreshadowing. Yeah, before then, we we had Manchester United traveling to Turf Moor to take on Burnley um, and sputtering yet again under Ralph Ragnick. It was Paul Pogba who opened the scoring in the 18th minute, a tidy finish, and United dominated this game. I mean, 22 shots. 65% possession, but Jay Rodriguez found an equalizer just a few minutes after the start of the second half, and, and United could not get anything together to find another goal and win this game. Um, it's just so interesting because at the moment, Justin, it really seems like in this race for the fourth spot that none of these teams want it. They're all just kind of failing <laughs> to, to seize the opportunity that is given to them when all the other teams around them are failing. They're all sputtering, but I'll tell you, it makes for great entertainment because, you know, our opinions on who's going to get that fourth spot have been changing. It, it almost seems like on a weekly basis and United are, are continuing to find ways to not win. Absolutely. That's very well phrased because it's, it really is that way because you would think, okay, this team has a few games in hand. They're, they're only a couple games back or they're a couple games ahead. Maybe they can, you know, keep it on, but every team keeps dropping points left and right that it, it's really a toss up at this point um, between four or five teams really. And it's fun to watch. I think, you know, we can have the debate of whether is the top four race the most interesting or is the relegation battle the most interesting. Both are, uh, definitely more interesting than the title race at this point, not to say that Liverpool can't change that uh, in, in the coming weeks. But yeah, I mean, United unable to find a win. It seems to be the story of Manchester United right now. Paul Pogba, his first goal of the season, um, but just not enough. And as you love foreshadowing, next they, they couldn't do it at the weekend either. Uh, so it, it seems to be, coming, be becoming a trend with Manchester United. Moving on to the games on Wednesday, we can quickly just talk about Norwich going to Selhurst Park. Or sorry, no, 
uh, Palace going to Carroll Road, rather, and picking up a point against Norwich. It was Timu Puki in the first minute who opened the scoring. And then Wilfred Zaha scored an absolute banger, Justin. And then just a few minutes later, uh, they win a penalty. He steps up to the spot, kicks it off his own foot, I believe, or slipped or something, and it ends up going like five yards wide, one of the yep. worst penalties you'll ever see in the Premier League. Um, and Norwich pick up. A crucial point, you know, every point is going to be extremely valuable in the relegation race at at this point. Um, But with that, we can move on to Southampton traveling to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, taking on Spurs. This was a wild game, Justin. It ends 3-2 in favor of the Saints who took the, or uh, sorry, it was Spurs who took the lead rather through a Jan Bednarek own goal. Um, and then Armando Broja, who, you know, has been really impressive on his loan spell from Chelsea. We've talked about it countless times. He equalized, made it 1-1. And it was Sung Hyung Min after, you know, there was some question about a foul in the buildup, but he taps in across from Kane, I believe it was, to make it 2-1 in Southampton. Quick fire double. Elianusi in the 80th minute and Che Adams with a towering header in the 82nd. And they pick up a shock 3-2 victory in North London. And, you know, it's just another example, Justin, a team in the, in the race for the top four slipping up yet again. You're right. It absolutely is. And, I mean, this was a deserved win from Southampton. You look totally. at the stats and, and they are dominant. 53% possession isn't dominant, obviously, but 23 to 8 shots, 10 to 3 on target. It was uh, not only a good performance, but a clinical performance from Southampton. We always talk about XG on these podcasts and how uh, teams are underperforming it. They, they should have scored more goals. This was one where both teams overperformed their XG um, with Southampton at, at about two and Spurs at about 1.7. So Spurs, I mean, Southampton deserved that win. They outplayed uh, Conte Spurs and it, it really is impressive. I mean, they've moved into the top half of the Premier League, which I don't think a lot of people saw coming, uh, especially, you know, after they lost Danny Ings, everyone thought, you know, they might be in a relegation battle because they didn't have an, a lot of players. I mean, you look at their lineup, it's it's not super impressive. Uh, but, you know, Broha has come on this this season. Shea Adams continuing his his, you know, Rise and James Ward Prowse, of course, is always there, but it's it's not the most impressive th- team to to be in the top half of the league. Yet there they are, sitting in tenth. So, well done to Southampton is is all I can really say there. Yeah, I mean, I myself put them 18th in our predictions. I'm looking at it right now, which is not looking great whatsoever. Um, and it wasn't, you know, I was watching the the Villa Leeds game uh, at, during that time window, which we'll talk about. But um, one of my good friends, who's a who's a Tottenham fan, was talking about how you know Spurs leading, or, or Spurs it, it was one one at halftime. How that was incredibly flattening, flattering rather to Tottenham. Um, and yeah, I, I went and looked over at the stats, and I was like, whoa, wait, what is going on right now? I mean, twenty three shots, ten on target. Like that's that's City versus Norwich numbers right there. I mean, that might even be better. Yeah, that's they had one more shot and one more shot on target than City did against Norwich, and that's Southampton going to Tottenham. I mean, I think Tottenham were awful in this game, um, and, and they got quite lucky to, to score too, to be honest. Um, and Southampton, you know, they've been putting in good performances, and you mentioned, you know, foreshadowing United. They went to Old Trafford and put in a good performance. But uh, before we talk about that, let's talk about that Villa-Leeds game, Justin. Um, arguably the, the best game of these two weeks, um, just – crazy stuff going on over at Villa Park. 
Um, obviously, it's Steven Gerrard's uh, Villa. You know, they started well, but have been sputtering a bit as of late. Um, and, uh, you know, Leeds have been trying to distance themselves from the relegation battle. They haven't quite been able to do it, but they took a ninth-minute lead through Dan James, but it's Felipe Coutinho yet again uh, with a lovely goal, just touch out of his feet across his body into the bottom corner. Um, and then Jacob Ramsey, Justin, I mean, the kid is electric. I'm really loving watching him play at the moment. He scored two goals in five minutes in the 38th and 43rd minute to make it 3-1 Villa. And that's what it seemed like it would be going into the half. But there was Dan James again in first half stop, trying to make it 3-2. Just a crazy game as then uh, Diego Lorente scored a, a header to make it 3-3. Ezri Conta got sent off at the end. I mean, what great entertainment this was. Yeah, a fantastic game to watch. Uh, I was, of course, watching City at the same time, but I, I did have this one on because it was just extraordinarily fun to watch. Uh, for me, Coutinho, I mean, what a player. I, I wanted to bring him in an FPL, decided against it. it. It bit me in the butt. He A goal, and he assisted both of Ramsey's goals. So uh, he is proving that to be a fantastic signing for Villa already. Uh, contributing and winning them points in multiple games already. On the other side, it is Dan James, who is always gets criticized for his, you know, clinical ability to finish. Uh, he's, he's very fast, obviously, but can sometimes miss those chances. Not uh, in this game. He scored two, and you see United fans on Twitter talking about, oh, we shouldn't have let him go because, you know, United are the ones struggling to score. Meanwhile, he has a brace in the Premier League. So it's just a very exciting game to watch. You didn't know uh, who was going to win. And that's how I feel about Leeds. I mean, that is how Leeds play. We've talked about it before. Many people uh, have talked about it endlessly because people will say, you know, that's the Bielsa style of play. Either you win 4-0 or lose 4-0. Well, here we got a 3-3 blinder. So extremely fun game to watch. You, You absolutely love these in the Premier League. Yeah, and both those finishes from Ramsey, the, obviously the assist from Coutinho were great, but both of those finishes were, you know, looked like they were from a player well beyond the years of Jacob Ramsey, right? Still only 20. Um, I think he could be a really, really, really good player for Villa going forward. I, I, we will, we've definitely not seen the last of him is what I'll say. Um, and also foreshadowing of, you know, Leeds being down <laughs> two goals and coming back. <laughs> That's why I wasn't comfortable at the weekend until the third one in. But yet again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, With that, we can move to the City game that you were watching, taking on Brentford at the Etihad. It honestly wasn't the greatest of performances from City from what I saw, but they found a way to get the win as always. And I captained Kevin De Bruyne in FPL, so I was very happy about his goal. Um, It was Riyad Mahrez. Uh, who opened the scoring in the 40th minute with a clinical pen. You know, obviously the clear penalty taker at City now, considering how many other players have missed and how fantastic and accomplished he has been from the spot as of late. Um, But you know what? I didn't think Brentford were the worst in this game. I thought they caused City a few problems, but, you know, not enough to get anything out of a game on the road against the champions. Yeah, as you say, I mean, they, they didn't play poorly, but they were just outclassed. I mean, over 75% possession for City uh, is a massive number, obviously. It's just control until you can find a way through. It ended up being uh, a foul on Sterling that led to the penalty, put 
Mara's put it away. As you say, uh, it's fantastic to have a, a penalty taker at City who can bury pens because that has been a, a problem for years now. And it seems that Mara's has uh, clogged that gap and, and filled that hole. So it was that. And then it was Sterling again getting through and, and putting a shot on that was saved. And Kevin De Bruyne uh, w- gets the rebound and just slots at home, as you say. So relatively comfortable win pretty routine but at the same time you know it, it wasn't it wasn't a poor performance from Brentford they didn't have uh, Ivan Tony Brian Buemo came off the bench so not even their full strength 11 obviously uh, but City got the job done as needed it's interesting because Roslev um, you know who playing right wing back had a goal in a game a few weeks ago I believe but now he's had two high profile mistakes on the bounce um, there was a in, in the game against Everton, you know, he basically headed a corner instead of heading it out. He headed it straight to Mason Holgate on the back post, who just said, oh, thank you very much. And, and headed it in at the back post, easy as you like. And then in this game, that tackle on Sterling for the penalty, just what was he thinking there? Um, it, a really bad tackle um, was, yeah. you know, Stonewall always going to be a penalty and he's never going to get to that ball before Raheem Sterling. Um, so, you know, big, big mistake from him cost Brentford obviously ended up not being the only goal in the game, but either way. um, Yeah. And then, and then we had the Thursday games. Uh, Firstly, it was Liverpool hosting Leicester city, the much maligned Leicester city at the moment at Anfield. Um, And it was Diego Jota with a brace uh, to give the Reds all three points. Obviously, Leicester are just in an awful run of form at the moment. Um, fans are very, very unhappy. Um, you know, huge drop-off from the last two seasons to now. Brendan Rodgers, as we are saying, that the seat is getting hotter and hotter every single week. And, and you know, Leicester got dominated in this game. 22 shots to five, 11 on, on target to one, 65% possession, uh, for Liverpool, um, you know, pretty comfortable win for them. Yeah, it was, uh, and it was Jota on the score sheet as well. Uh, again, he c- continues this uh, incredible form with just what's amazing to me is he scores with any part of his body, his right foot, his left foot, his head. He's so short, yet he gets on all these headers. Um, it's just mind bogglingly impressive to the point that. It, it for me though has to be uh, the second string striker at the at this point. Totally which is, agree. Yeah, you, you really haven't thought about that for years. But Diego Jota is is so supremely talented that Firmino's link up play does not warrant him starting over a player who will continually put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, obviously, Jota started on the wing here because Salah and Mane were were not quite back from. Uh, AFCON yet, Salah did come on uh, in, in the second half. He had a few great chances, actually, to put himself on the score sheet, a one-on-one, and then he banged one off of the the cross between the, the corner or, or the post and the crossbar, excuse me. Uh, and so, yeah, Salah probably could have had a hat trick himself, but it, it was already done and dusted at that point had Jota put in uh, his two goals. And so... Just a pretty comfortable, and as you say, for Leicester, it has been a downturn recently and a poor season so far. I mean, if you would have told somebody at the beginning of the season that Southampton would be above Leicester City in the table, I think they would have uh, told you you were crazy. Uh, 
Yeah, so. especially through 24 games. But to be fair, Lesser do have two games in hand on the Saints. Um, and then just a, another quick side note was Luis Diaz made his full debut uh, mm-hmm. for Liverpool. Obviously didn't get on the score sheet, but from what I heard, uh, he was quite lively. Um, and and uh, I do expect him to come good. Liverpool's recruitment has been pretty spot on as of late. You know, the only real bust you could say they've had have been because of injury, you know, or... I mean, Nabi Keita, you know, injury has definitely hampered him a bit. I, I don't think he's been anywhere near worth the amount that they paid for him. But I expect Luis Diaz, you know, to, to end up being a successor to Mane. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's absolutely a phenomenal player. Um, certainly will, will come good for Liverpool. He did look lively, as you say. Um, the only thing that's, I mean, Liverpool probably paid a little bit more than Liverpool normally pay for players. Um, but still got a pretty good deal for a player that good, in my opinion. So, yeah, looking looking to the future. And then going to Molyneux, we it was Arsenal against Wolves. Uh, Gabriel got on the score sheet in the 25th minute to put Arsenal up 1-0, which ended up being the uh, final score. But it was Gabriel Martinelli in the 69th minute getting sent off, which has become a trend for Arsenal. I mean, it started with Granit Xhaka and everyone would make fun of him for how often he got sent off, but it has become a team thing. Uh, Players getting sent off left and right. It seems almost every other game at this point for Arsenal. So they're, they're lucky to get out with the, with the win. All the stats seem to favor Wolves who, you know, played a good game, but that, that 25th minute goal from Gabriel was the difference. Yeah, I mean, a lot obviously was talked about the the Martinelli red card. It was two yellow cards on the same play. Martinelli like shoved who I forget who it was. Someone on Wolves taking a throw in, shoved him over right after he took it. So that was you know first yellow card, and then a cynical foul from behind. And a lot of has been made about it. Do I think Michael Oliver was justified in giving him two yellows for on on that same play? I don't know. I don't personally love it. I, I don't like it. Um, just because, you know, giving two yellows like that without being able to see the first yellow as a caution, as a warning, which is what a yellow card is, it's effectively giving a straight red. And I don't think those two yellow cards, in my opinion, add to a straight red like that. Um, Because, you know, getting two yellows and getting a straight red are very different things. And those two things, in my opinion, don't add up to be as egregious as what you'd get a straight red card for. Um, I understand kind of, you know, why he made that decision and, and I'm not condoning what Martinelli did because it's just a boneheaded idiotic play from him. You're winning the game. There's no need. So excessive, um, you know, just kind of youth inexperience showing through right there. Just, you know, not what Arsenal needed, but their defensive performance was phenomenal in my opinion, obviously, you know, protecting a lead, playing with 10 men for, you know, if we're including stoppage time over 25 minutes and they defended incredibly well because Wolves really didn't have that many chances at the end of this game, despite having, you know, the vast majority of possession and being inside Arsenal's half for almost the entire, you know, last quarter of the game. So I was really impressed with uh, Arteta's defense and their organization. um, and, And I thought they did really well. Yeah, as you say, they didn't give them any chances because Wolves beat them in pretty much every statistical category except for expected goals uh, where Arsenal nearly doubled them. So just not giving up chances, as you say. Marnelli, I mean, I get your point there, but to me, he knows he's getting that yellow card. I I like the 
the idea of, you know, you, you give the yellow for a caution. That is the point of it. But he knew he was getting yellow. You don't just shove somebody who's taking a throw in. Um, and then, and then the second one was, I mean, both fouls were yellow card worthy. It's just unfortunate that they happened back to back for him. Yeah. And then, you know, part of the XG of Arsenal having higher XG is that Lacazette had a one-on-one to kill the game and he put it wide, which was really poor from him. Um, but I also wanted to give just a little shout talking about defensively when that red card happened, they took off Bukayo Saka for Rob holding. And I thought Rob holding was terribly impressive at the back end of this game. He was great. Um, you know, headed out everything that wolves were throwing into the box. So just wanted to give him a quick mention because I was very impressed by, you know, his performance off the bench. And so that was it for the midweek games, Justin. Now we move to the weekend and we'll start with United Southampton. Obviously we talked about Southampton's very impressive performance on the road at the Tottenham Hotspur stadium and United sputtering at old Trafford. And this seemed kind of predictable. Um, Southampton didn't get the win, but they were able to hold United to another draw, uh, another way for United to not win. Uh, and yet again, they blew a lead because they scored first through Jaden Sancho, who I will say, by the way, I think has been, you know, one of their better players over the last few weeks. I've been, you know, he, definitely his performances have been starting to improve quite significantly. Um, but it was Che Adams who found a goal at the beginning of the second half. And that's the way the game ended 1-1. At Old Trafford, and it's just, you know, United throwing away yet another opportunity to try to take hold of the top four race. And, you know, they now, although having a game in hand over West Ham, they're, they're still in fifth place. And they have Arsenal breathing down their neck, who have two games in hand over them. So they really couldn't afford to, to only get two points out of these two games. Yep. As you say, they need these points and they're not getting them. Uh, this was just a story of they could not finish because they had two and a half expected goals to Southampton 0.7. Uh, it was, they, they had their chances. They had eight shots on target. They just couldn't put it in the back of the net. Um, it, it was Sancho, the only one who was able to right? And, and people were criticizing him for his uh, clinical ability at the, at the beginning of the season, because everyone loves to jump on these big signings so quickly. I don't really understand it personally, but, yeah, Jane Sancho, I've been saying he's going to come good, even though I wish he wouldn't. Um, but, yeah, he, he's going to. He's a class, class player, and he's starting to really show it uh, at Old Trafford. But it's just not enough for Manchester United, who sit in fifth place on 40 points um, with, you know, one point behind the Champions League spot, West Ham, with a game in hand. But the, the teams below them also have games in hand on them. So, it really is extremely tight and one where you can't just keep dropping points like this, especially at home uh, to a team that isn't supposed to be that good. Uh, even though, as we've discussed, they sit 10th in the premier league, which is quite impressive, but this is just not up to scratch for Manchester United, which as a city fan, I love to see, but it, it is very surprising that they can't get anything done. Uh, Ragnick is not looking to be the answer. It, it, so we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, one other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, we've talked pretty extensively on this podcast about, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, how he fits into kind of the vision at United, the project. And I think it's becoming clear now that the answer is that he doesn't for the first time in his career, he's gone five straight, you know, I think second time in his career, first time since 
2010, I believe, he's gone five games without scoring. He got, uh, I believe, the full 90 minutes in this game. Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, and, you know, just he has not been on the score sheet whatsoever recently. Um, you know, and, and I think we all know that he's not the answer at United now. Obviously, um, for reasons that we won't get into, one of their young attacking talents who, you know, we were talking about, oh, is he holding back his development? Well, that is not going to be uh, an issue at the moment. <laughs> definitely not an issue anymore. Definitely not an issue, um, which is, you know, that whole situation is very shameful. Um, and we won't discuss it too much. But um, either way, I, I think United definitely should be looking to get rid of Ronaldo at the end of the summer, to be honest, or, or during this summer at the end of the season with the wages that he's on. And, you know, Rashford, it, could Rashford go back up top? We'll see. I don't think Martial is the answer there either. So we could see United, you know, uh, alongside obviously going after midfielders, which is what we know they need most. We could also see them going after a striker uh, this summer. I honestly wouldn't be that surprised. Kind of scares me a little bit knowing uh, that Dominic Calvert-Lewin exists. But Absolutely. And then we can move to Vicarage Road, Justin, where Brighton took on Watford. It was a good performance from the Seagulls, from Graham Potter's side. Uh, picking up a 2-0 win. The first goal was from Neil Malpai. What a finish this was. Ball just swung to the top of the box. Um, with a lot of pace on it, and he manages to, I think it might have slightly hit his shin, but he kind of wraps his leg around it and, and just curls it, kind of lofts it right into the top corner. It was an unreal finish. And then Adam Webster put the finishing touches uh, on the game from a corner. But, you know, Watford, we thought, you know, they played reasonably well against West Ham. We're unlucky not to get uh, a point, but they didn't deserve it in this game. Uh, another concerning display from them and, and their chances of relegation are only going up and up right now. Yeah, exactly. That, that is the story because they now sit on 15 points, uh, which is two points behind Norwich city. And they, but they, they do have a game in hand on Norwich city. So potentially an ability to hop them, but they are now six points uh, away from, Newcastle to be out of that relegation zone, which it really does seem like those are the three teams that are going to go down at this point to me, uh, Burnley, Watford, and Norwich City being the three, because Newcastle, since the since January, since they've brought in some players, have really turned it around. Obviously, Trippier has, you know, scored a couple of goals for them from free kicks already. And it, I, I've been saying it to Garrett for, for weeks now that I don't see Everton really having a chance at relegation. So I think that it, the, that gap is going to start to widen, uh, in my opinion. But it, Norwich City are starting to perform. So who really knows? But yeah, I, I just think that those three are, are, are very likely to go down at this point. Um, Roy Hodgson, I don't think, is, is the answer for Watford. <laughs> Yeah, and, and we can kind of brush past. We had a nil-nil at the Brentford Community Stadium between Brentford and Palace, and we can move on to another big game kind of towards the bottom of the table, which was Everton hosting Leeds. It was a must, must-win game for Everton, and I, and I told you this, Justin, before the match. Yep. I felt like it was potentially the biggest game that I can remember as an Evertonian. You know, you could throw FA Cup semifinals in there and whatnot, but 
you know, that's still, in my opinion, not as important as, you know, a game for potentially staying in the league. Because had Everton lost this game, they'd be in a dire, dire, dire position in the league. But the fact of the matter is that they completely outplayed Leeds United in this game. 21 shots, 10 shots on target. That's the most that Everton have had uh, in both categories in any game so far this season. Leeds did not register a shot on target in this game. Rodrigo hit the crossbar twice with long-range efforts, but Jordan Pickford did not make a save in this entire game, um, which which kind of says something. Um, Donny van de Beek was absolutely brilliant. Um, I thought he played incredibly well. I thought Anthony Gordon as well. um, You know, we know that he's been a, a really good star performer this season for Everton, one of the biggest upsides. And, you know, we talked about Damari Gray so much at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, his form has dropped off a little bit, obviously missed this game uh, after that injury that we talked about at St. Jesus Park, which he should be back um, next weekend, which is good. But Anthony Gordon, you know, really, really exciting player. Honestly, what makes me the most excited about the future of Everton. I've been uh, kind of on a Twitter campaign to give him the number 10 shirt next season. I hope it happens. Um, but, you know, this was this performance was Everton. It was exactly what the fans wanted. High press. Uh, possession, creating so many great chances. I think uh, I saw earlier today that the only team which created more XG in in the Premier League during this match week was City against Norwich. Um, It was a fantastic performance. Um, So, yeah, really, really pleased. Puts us in a much better position. Obviously, Southampton on the road on Saturday is a tough game. We've been talking about they're in good form. They're in the top half of the table. If Everton could get a win in that game, it, you know, it would be absolutely massive and would pretty much cement that, okay, maybe this team is too good to go down. Yeah, and uh, Everton created uh, just over two uh, XG for, for that number there. But, I mean, a performance really impressive from Everton. Uh, you'd think that they're going to control possession under Lampard, but not in this game and still found a way to not give up a single shot on target while creating a ton of chances, 10 of sh- uh, shots on target for themselves. Uh, just not much to say besides well done from Everton when they really, really needed it. Uh, I did want your opinion on Donny van de Beek. You said he played well. Uh, I saw a lot of people naming him as man of the match, whereas other people were saying that his, he was a little overrated because most of his passes were just, you know, backwards passes. So even his passing numbers were inflated. I'm not sure. I I didn't really see a ton of this game, but um, obviously his his full debut for Everton. So curious to hear uh, your thoughts on that one. No, I thought he was great. I thought he was great. My man in the match would probably be Anthony Gordon, just because he was involved in everything that Everton did going forward. Um, but no, I thought Van de Beek was you know he he was celebrating all the goals like crazy, despite the fact he didn't score that any of them. His passion just kind of reverberated through the game. He was winning tons of tackles. He was instrumental to pressing leads, which is really what we did, right? You say we, we didn't have uh, that much possession, only 41%, but we were protecting a lead for 90 minutes or for 80 minutes of the game, rather. Um, and leads couldn't do anything because whenever they got into midfield, Von de Beek was there making tackles. Um, Everton released a video of, you know, every pretty much action that he had, you know, a pass on they, it's called on the ball series. And so it's every pass that he made all his tackles and whatnot. And he was giving the leads midfield absolute fits and starts. Um, no, I thought he was excellent. And, and 
he was also quite progressive as well. He, he found some really good passes and also essentially had the assist on Seamus Coleman's opener as it was a ball from Coleman to Gordon, who, who played a really, really clever through pass into Von Bay, who had made a run deep from midfield all the way into the box, cut it back. Um, DCL was there for the tap in, but I, I believe it was Robin Cook who got a foot to it, but it just bounced up to Seamus Coleman who scored a diving header. So no, I do not think Von de Beek was a backwards pass Sebastian Legette merchant in this game whatsoever. <laughs> I, I, I thought he was really comparison. Ha, had to, uh, no, I thought he was excellent. Um, and, and I think he'll be honestly very important to the way that Lampard uh, wants this team to play because with that possession pressing, like we know Andre Gomez can be a good player in possession, but I don't think he has that defensive intensity um, that, that Van de Beek does. And Van de Beek just plays with this, this energy and passion that I don't think we've seen from, from anybody else in this team. Yep. And then, uh, as you say, I think that the only two teams that created more XG than, than Everton this game week were uh, the two Manchester clubs. Only one of them obviously could find a win, which we can move to right now. Uh, it was Manchester City visiting Carroll Road. And the story was Raheem Sterling uh, with a hat trick, 31, 70, and 90. He was electric, uh, as he often is. I think that he's getting uh, less credit than he very often deserves. He has, what, like over 100 Premier League goals now, I think. And he has just not – people don't really understand that he is a – top top winger in the world people because people won't even put him in their top 11 for city uh obviously he gets that start for england but he'll continue to go under the radar until he does things like this and it's just undeniable he also has now won the most penalties in premier league history with 23 uh which he did not that's a uh, stat wow yeah uh it's just things that go under the radar but he was unable to convert that penalty, uh, which he did take because it, he was on the hat trick, but he uh, finished on the rebound to complete the hat trick. Phil Foden also got on the score sheet uh, in the 48th minute. That was the fourth goal. So, uh, yeah, without uh, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, well, on the bench, right, without him starting, um, it, it was a, a comfortable win for City to the point that they were able to give uh, Liam DeLapp sometime, who was, who was coming back from injury, James McAtee as well. And then Kai Kai got his Premier League debut for Manchester City uh, as, in this game as well. So putting on some youth at the end there because they, ha- they had the game in the bag. So according to XG Philosophy, which is one of the main sources, uh, probably the main source that we use for XG on here, they had Everton at only 2.03, but there are multiple other sources, including InfoGoal, which had Everton at 2.59, which put them second in the league behind City's 4.55, which is ridiculous, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, um, it is. But okay, here's a question. If Raheem Sterling misses the penalty, does, that, does he then get – the XG for the 0.75 for the penalty plus the tap in. Cause then that's a little bit yep. of inflation, obviously. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, so we'll take that into context. Um, either way, it was still, you know, probably Everton's best attacking game. You know, one of the best attacking games of the season. Um, also quickly, just wanted to say Alex Awobi played really well, which is a sentence I haven't said in a very long time. Um, and so <laughs> there, there was a whole big thing on, you know, obviously he's been 
given so much abuse over the past couple of years and, and a lot of it deservedly because he's been awful, but he was really good. I just wanted to mention that. And then Justin, the games that uh, transpired yesterday, obviously we record these on Mondays. We had Wolves going to Tottenham Hotspur stadium um, and, and picking up a win. It's another home loss for Spurs two in a row. Um, and, and Wolves, you know, really ran rampant in the first half of this game. It was Raul Jimenez with a really clever volley. It was a, a cross that came in. Luis could only really half punch it clear, and then Raul chested it, and, and on the full volley, hit it in the side netting. It was kind of vintage from him. Uh, good to see, obviously, uh, after the horrific injury last season. And then Lander Dendonker cleaned up the scraps of kind of a crazy penalty box pinball, if you will, uh, to make it 2-0. And Spurs were unable to do anything in the second half. Um, and it's starting to get concerning because, you know, obviously we saw Spurs. We had, they have the upturn in form under Conte. We're talking about, oh, they're going to finish fourth. They're going to do this and that. And now they've lost three games in a row. Yeah, absolutely. Conte Spurs are looking uh, very questionable. Uh, Rodrigo Bentenker with his full debut. Kulisevsky uh, on off the bench again. So, they're, they're getting these players. I mean, they have Son and Kane fully back starting. This is, this is essentially their full uh, strength 11, bar a couple you know changes maybe. But I don't know, man. It's, it's just not working for Spurs. Meanwhile, Wolves continue to impress. Uh, they, it's, you really can't count them out of the top four race at this point, Wolves, because they are four points out of the top four with two games in hand uh, on West Ham. So... They are really, really in it. Uh, I mean, when, when everybody thought that it would be a downturn season for them, uh, losing, you know, Patricio and Nuno, but they've replaced them in spades. And getting going to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and getting a win is, is another statement that they've made this season. Uh, but Conte has to figure out a way to, to turn this around. A lot of people are already saying that Conte needs to leave Spurs at the end of the season uh, and, and find a different way because... I mean, you're looking there as Spurs fans and you're thinking, how do we continually get some of the best managers in the world and we still can never win a trophy? Uh, it really almost looks cursed at this point. Yeah, and, and I think the whole thing of you know Conte saying, oh, we're not on the same level, la, la, la. I'm not buying that, man, because their squad is just as good, if not better than the teams around them. So I, I, I don't personally like that. I mean, come on, you look at Spurs' squad and compare it to Wolves, and, like, there's so much more quality in Spurs' side. Harry Kane, Youngman's son, Kulusevsky and Bentenkur, I, I both think are really good players. And then you think of all the money that they've spent, uh, you know, obviously a lot of busts. Um, I know Spurs fans do not like Emerson Royale. The less said about Matt Doherty, the better. But um, I, I think Conte cannot just point the blame on, on, on his squad and, and the talent that he has. I think he has more than enough to, to be finishing in the top six. So, yeah, he definitely has got to figure something out. And then, Justin, we can go uh, back over to St. James's Park. It was Newcastle picking up a huge win over Villa. Another free kick from Kieran Trippier. This one not quite as clean as the one against Everton, which sealed the three points um, midweek. But this one, you know, he tried to go to the keeper's side, took a deflection, took it into the roof of the net uh, right down the middle pretty much. Um, it was not a super lively game. There was only three shots on target across the entire 90 minutes, um, but it's a huge three points for Newcastle. Obviously we've been talking about how, how we think we now think they're definitely going to stay up. I mean, they, they have uh, three wins in a row now, two draws before that. So they haven't lost in five. 
And if you're avoiding defeat in five straight games and winning three of those, you're just not going to get relegated, are you? Um, now four points clear with a game in hand over 18th place Norwich. So it's looking really good for Newcastle. And they haven't even got Bruno Guimaraes uh, playing yet, right? He, he, I think he only made his his full debut in this game. So surely he's going to start to be an asset um, more so. No, he, uh, he didn't even start in this game, actually. Uh, I think he... Uh, did he come out? Yeah, he came off the bench in this game. So once they actually have him in the 11, you know, I, I think we could see Newcastle finishing, you know, somewhere up near 14th, 13th, especially as, you know, with uh, Brentford only picking up a point uh, midweek, same with Leeds. They're kind of getting sucked back down towards the bottom of the table. Brentford have played 25 games. That's the most tied for the most of anybody in the league with West Ham and City. Um, and, and they're, you know, they're only seven points clear of, of Norwich. So, you know, Brentford could be getting leapfrogged by the likes of Everton, Newcastle. I mean, I say Everton very optimistically in the next few weeks. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, um, it to me, this the statement here was Newcastle are saying we are a mid-table team. We're not a relegation team anymore uh, after the you know window that they had. As you say, Bruno Guimaraes still uh, to come and really make an impact, which was their, their biggest signing of the window. Uh, the interesting part of this game was the two teams had the exact same XG at 0.52, uh, which is pretty interesting. That rarely, rarely happens, but it was Trippier, as you say, from the free kick, um, winning three points for Newcastle, a, a massive, massive three points to build that slight gap uh, of four points between them and Norwich in the relegation zone. Uh, with a game in hand as well so absolutely and then we can move on to uh, Liverpool who played against Burnley at Turf Moor Uh, it was Fabinho in the 40th minute with the lone goal 1-0 just another you know Liverpool win Burnley you know played well didn't give up a ton of chances only four shots on target uh, actually had more shots on target themselves with five, but very little possession. Uh, and Liverpool were able to find a way. Salah and Mane both back starting. Meanwhile, Jota, as we were just discussing, was actually dropped to the bench and had their supposed starting front three with Firmino in there. Um, but yeah, it wasn't really, sorry, it, it wasn't, surprising for to see uh, Liverpool win um, but quickly again on Jota because I, I've just seen a stat G, that he has accumulated the most non-penalty XG per 90 this season of any player in the Premier League that's 0.76 wow. per 90 yeah ridiculous um, and continues to put v- the vast majority of those away I mean, yeah, and, and, and Liverpool were not very good going forward in this game, right? The, the only goal was like a, a second chance, Fabinho kind of, you know, just scrapping it over the line. Um, obviously, the conditions weren't perfect for your free-flowing attacking football that Jurgen Klopp likes to play, you know, wet, rainy day in Burnley. Um, mm. But do I think it's a coincidence that they really struggled going forward when they didn't start Jota and started Firmino instead? No. 
I'm not. I'm not surprised because I think Jota is by far the better weapon if you want to put balls in the back of the net. So sure, he won't give you your little fancy flicks and no-look passes and whatever else Firmino does, your defensive striker. And this is definitely a bit of the Evertonian in me speaking. But I think Jota has to be starting for Liverpool week in, week out, in my opinion. I just think Firmino's past it. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend like he wasn't extremely effective uh, for Liverpool during certain times, you know, 18, 19, 19, 20. But I, I think his days honestly are numbered. And I think Jota is the future. I think Jota and Luis Diaz will, will be seeing starting up top for Liverpool for quite, quite some time. Yeah, they, they did have over two XGs. So depending on uh, where you look more or less than, than Everton as well, but yeah, just not, not exactly what we expect to see. And then we can move uh, to the King Power Stadium where West Ham took on Leicester and an- another very entertaining game here. It was Jared Bowen. Once again, the man just cannot stop scoring, uh, opening the Great finish the sc- too. Yeah. Yep. It was uh, in the 10th minute. And then uh, Tielemans with a penalty in the 45th to level it. It was Ricardo Pereira after halftime in the 57th, uh, putting Leicester into the lead and it looked like it was going to stay that way, but Craig Dawson had other ideas. Uh, in the stoppage time, 91st minute, leveled it for West Ham and took one point back to London. Yeah, I mean, the, the Tielemans penalty, I'll just say, what was Aaron Cresswell doing here? I mean, ball comes into the box on a corner. He, he realizes, oh, I'm not going to get my head to it. So he just sticks his elbow out and, and clears it and tries to make it look like he headed it. And in the, in the age of VAR, you're never going to get away with that. Um, and, and then, there, but there was some more controversy um, when, because Craig Dawson's winner off a corner, it, it, he missed the header as well. And it came off his shoulder, but it was a judge to be above the shirt sleeve line. So the goal stands. Um, so there, there was some controversy there. Um, you know, this was, yeah, it was a very interesting game. Um, Pereira's goal was quite nice bombing in off the back post, met a really, really solid cross from Harvey Barnes. Um, but yeah, the points are shared honors even, and that was the final game of these two match days, Justin, uh, that was a lot to talk about, but you know, some really entertaining action. The season's really heating up now. Um, and to close off the episode now, Justin, we are going to look forward to the UEFA Champions League, which returns tomorrow, which is Tuesday. Obviously, as I said earlier, we record on Monday. And so what we're going to do, Justin, is we're going to look at these round of 16 ties. We're into the knockouts. We're going to make some predictions on who we think is going through. I think there are quite a few that um, are, are quite obvious, and, and I doubt we disagree. So we can move through those relatively quickly to, to finish off this episode. But let's start with your team tomorrow. It's Sporting and City, round of 16 tie. I think everybody knows Sporting are going to go through. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think everybody can confidently say that, that we see Manchester City progressing past Sporting. Obviously, the champions of Portugal uh, for the first time in a long time but um, not going to be strong enough opposition to take down Pep Guardiola's men. Yeah, I think the only people who are going to be watching this game are City fans and Sporting fans um, because th- there's a slightly bigger game going on at the same time because, yeah, this... Slightly. Uh, slightly. Look, Sporting have done well. They've uh, played really good. They came out, uh, you know, second in their group 
only because Ajax were unbeaten in the group stage and won that group. Um, but they, they beat Dortmund to that second spot to advance, uh, which most people probably thought it would have been Dortmund. And they were sent into the Europa League. But sporting, as well as they've been playing, it's not going to be enough to you know, challenge City, really. Uh, at least I hope not. But yeah, I think that everyone sees this. Uh, as a city advancement, I think that we should win both legs uh, and make it relatively easy for ourselves, hopefully. Um, but as far as the other game that we have tomorrow, it is a big one. Chris wanted us to uh, discuss this on the pod, so here we will, is PSG Real Madrid. I mean, what a what a game this is. This is the, the reason why we all love the Champions League, two massive uh, clubs going up against each other with very good squads who are both having relatively good seasons. I think they're both at the top of their league. Um, it it yep. is a really tough one to pick. It's starting with the Parc de Prance, and then it will go to the Bernabeu uh, on the second leg. So, Garrett, what are your what is your pick here? What are your thoughts on this tie? I mean, it's kind of a shame that that this is a a round of sixteen matchup. This you know is a semifinals or final matchup, in my opinion. I think these are you know definitely two of of the top. I'd say four teams in, in Europe at the moment. So yeah, maybe semis, you know. Um, so having one go out this early in the competition is going to be a big deal. I'd definitely be happy about that if I were a City fan or a Liverpool fan or a Bayern fan, you know, anybody else who isn't involved in this tie. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's tough to call because I think PSG have superior talent. Um, you know, one of the most talented rosters we've ever seen assembled, but they haven't really played like it. They haven't been extremely convincing. Obviously, top of... Um, Liga at the moment and pretty convincingly so and they dispatched of uh, of Lille obviously who managed to pip them to the title last year um, Lille have dropped off significantly they're in 10th place right now PSG smacked them over the weekend I, I think really this tie comes down to which Leo Messi do we see do we see the Leo Messi from you know what we've seen so, most of this season thus far sputtering a little bit he had a goal and assist um, in, their, in their most recent game so um, you know, definitely coming back in, into himself, being more like the Leo Messi we know and love. But, you know, if he decides to show up and, and really take this tie by the scruff of its neck, I don't think Madrid are going to be able to get past PSG with the talent that they have and the depth in every area. But, you know, obviously you can never write out Kareem Benzema, one of the most underrated strikers probably in the history of the sport. Um, and he continually delivers. So it's going to be extremely, extremely interesting. But I'm going to side with the GOAT, Justin. I'm going with PSG to advance. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see this go to extra time in the second leg at the Bernabeu. But I think, you know, we'll see a, a Leo Messi dramatic winner. At least that's what I'm hoping to see uh, and, and to see PSG go through. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, well, I think we're both a little bit GOAT bias here. Um, Definitely. Because we're, Madrid are just having such a really good season. And I think most people are actually going to pick Madrid to go through here uh, in this tie because PSG are just underwhelming. Messi has been underwhelming at, in the league. Uh, there's, PSG have been you know, up and down this season and they, they either come and perform or they act like they're not even a top team in the world sometimes. So that's, that's the issue for me. But I see... Like in the Champions League, they've been relatively inconsistent, but I mean, they've only lost one game in, in the league this season, winning 18, drawing five. They've still been by far the superior team in France, which obviously we know, you know, Liga isn't quite at the same level, but 
I don't think they've been, they haven't been extremely convincing in their wins, but still they win a lot. Right. Yeah. I understand it. As you say, it, it is leading on. It's a little bit different. Um, they haven't been fantastic in the champions league, which is what we're talking about here. So I say all this downplaying PSG only to say that I think they're going to go through. Um, <laughs> But again, it's just because I'm I'm go biased. I feel like he's he's so uh, levels above everybody else on the pitch that he can just have that one moment of brilliance. Although I will say, you know, if it, if it does go to extra time at the Bernabeu, I probably favor Madrid at that point. Um, if that were to be the case, but I think that PSG will win tomorrow and be able to. Uh, ha- have a little bit more comfortable and strategic thoughts going into the Bernabeu. Hopefully so. Poch will get, be under a lot of fire, and I don't see how much longer he lasts if they are not able to get past Real Madrid. Yeah, I agree. And and I think, obviously, Messi knows that you know the he hasn't quite fulfilled expectations yet. I, I'd be surprised to see him not you know really fighting to, to get PSG through here. And then moving on to the Wednesday games, Justin, firstly, we have Bayern taking on Salzburg. Um, I, I think everybody and their grandma is predicting Bayern to go through here and I don't see how they wouldn't. Um, I like Salzburg, you know, Brennan Aronson, whatnot, whatnot, produce a lot of good talent, but they're, they're not going to beat Bayern over two legs. No, they're, they're not. Um, it, it's, I mean, this is a privilege for them to be here uh, in the knockout stages of the champions league. They are, you know, the, they are the sister club. They're the, the little brother, uh, whatever you want to call it, to Rebel Leipzig. Uh, and they are the one who are still in the Champions League. Meanwhile, Leipzig have been knocked out. Um, so they're in the Europa League, of course. So just, just playing Bayern is massive for this club uh, and massive for players as you see like Brendan Aronson we focus on him because he's American um, and we love to see him and and we hope to see him probably come to the Premier League uh, next season there's a lot of interest there but yeah it doesn't seem that there's going to be much chance for them in this tie it is Bayern who are uh, the second favorites to win the Champions League uh, odds wise City will still be the odds odds on favorites which explain it to me when we are the odds on favorites every single year, but can never manage to win. Um, I don't know why we continue to be the, the top, you know, team that everyone picks, but it is what it is. Um, and then, yeah, it, it will, it will be Byron going through, but we can move to inter versus Liverpool, which is another really good tie, uh, which yeah. could, you know, go either way. Uh, it is the, the second game uh, on Wednesday, this is a this is a really tough one to call. I mean, I think obviously Liverpool are going to be the favorites in this, but I mean, you know, Inter did lose a lot of talent in the summer. Um, you know, Hakimi, obviously Lukaku, but you know they still find themselves towards the top of the table. They're one point behind uh, AC Milan, who are in first place right now, but they have a game in hand. Um, they have players, they have quality. I, I think um, Inzaghi has done a better job definitely than I expected him to. I did not see Inter being in a title race again after losing their manager and losing their two best players. Um, well, arguably two best players. Obviously, Latar Martinez is still, you know, a really quality player. Um, I think, you know, this is definitely a banana peel for Liverpool. They could slip up here. We've kind of seen it. Um, with Atletico Madrid, for example, when they kind of shocked, even though Liverpool 
uh, uh, you know, had the lead in, in that tie. They, they shocked them at Anfield. Marco Sirente scoring those two goals. I'll never forget it. It was great. I really hope Inter can do this, obviously. <laughs> um, do I think they will? Mm, no, I, I think Liverpool are going to go through. Um, it, it, I think it'll be close, though. Um, but I, I think Liverpool will choke later on in the competition, but not, not, not in the round of 16. Man, I, I'm really, really tempted to say that they won't do it um, because I, I really am, but I, I can't. As I, I just Liverpool are so good, and they will score goals. Their their attacking prowess is just really unstoppable. And it, you would I, I get a feeling that you know an Italian team like Inter, uh, who are you know able to sit back a little bit more, soak up some pressure, uh, it, it could favor them tactically. But even so, Liverpool are going to find a way to score a couple goals and Inter are going to have, find that difficult. So I think it'll be a, a more low-scoring tie than we expect probably. But I think Liverpool will get through may, maybe on one goal or two of two at the most uh, because it's, it's going to be tight uh, in my opinion. And I think that Liverpool will go through as much as I wish that I could say that Inter will because I, I think this will be a great tie. Yeah, it'll be a good watch for sure. And then we can move on to the games that will be next week, starting with Chelsea and the aforementioned Lille, who, you know, we talked about got smacked by PSG last week um, and, and are having a huge down season. Obviously managed to pip the Parisians to the title last year in Liga, but they are not even close, sitting in 10th, as I said, taking on the reigning champions of Europe. Uh, Chelsea, a team that we know are kind of built for competitions like this for these tournaments. And, you know, they've gotten to the final of the Carabao cup as well. Um, I, I, I don't see Chelsea slipping up here against a Lille side who have been severely underwhelming this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really is. It, it's those three ties that really you don't see going any other way uh, with Salzburg sporting and Lille, I think all going out. Um, there's just there's just not much that they're going to be able to put up a fight against Chelsea. Look, Chelsea have the ability to you know slip on the banana peel or you know not be able to find the back of the net, not be clinical, uh, give up a, a goal that they shouldn't. All of these things Chelsea are, are very prone to, and I expect to see it later on in the competition. As Garrett was saying for Liverpool, I, I think Chelsea will uh, get knocked out, whether it be a surprise or not, in, in the next couple of rounds, but not this round. Yeah. And obviously they're coming off of just having won the uh, club world cup um, right. in Abu Dhabi against Palmera. So, you know, they have the that taste of silverware game as well, by the way. Yeah. I don't think they'll get carried away though. I, I think that, you know, they'll have confidence, but not overconfidence. They'll take care of Leal. The other game uh, next Tuesday, I think um, is, this is a big banana peel. I think a lot of people will have Juventus favored. Um, you know, obviously Vlaovic coming in, scoring two goals in his first two games. But Villarreal, you know, what a great job Unai Emery has done at that club. Obviously won the Europa League last season. Tell he got into the Champions League. Um, you know, they play really well as a team despite, you know, not having like an insane amount of talent. They definitely play as more than the sum of their parts. Um, and I, I could see them upsetting Juve. I really could. Do I think they will, though? You know what? Screw it. Yeah, I'm going to say Villarreal go through here. Yellow Submarine, let's go. Love it. I love that. 
Um, I'll say Juve because I just think that they're a superior squad. I think that definitely, as you say, they're, it's, it's more a Villarreal or, or a unit versus Juve are a bunch of good players uh, that don't necessarily w- work as well together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a good tie. I don't think that Juve are going to run away with this. Villarreal are uh, very good in, in a tournament, right? They showed that last season. Unai Emery is, lo- loves a knockout game. Um, but I think Juve will get through. For the fun, let's say Weston McKinney puts them through on a goal. Okay, yeah, why not? Why not? And then we have... Uh, hey, he's been scoring know, a lot, hasn't he? Yeah, no, no, he has been. He has been. And he's obviously talked a lot about him a couple of weeks ago when Abi was on about right. him being the U.S.'s best player at the moment and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd like to see that. If Juve go through, I hope it's Weston who sends them through. That's for sure. And then moving on to the last two games. Firstly, we start with Benfica and Ajax. Obviously, we've talked about Ajax have been incredible in the Champions League thus far. Sebastian Haller has been bagging goals for fun. They've been you know, running up some crazy scores on the likes of Dortmund and Sporting and whatnot. Um, but Benfica, you know, decent team from Portugal, another, you know, pretty good league. Um, it's going to be a good one. I think Ajax will go through. They've been so good. I don't think they're going to be blowing Benfica out like they were, uh, you know, Dortmund sporting, as I just mentioned. But I, I do think I see Eric Ten Hag's men going through here. I think Ten Hag is a really quality manager and will be getting a, a big move um, in the not too distant future. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised he hasn't already. Yeah, I fully agree with that, but I disagree with the blowing out. I think Ajax will blow out Benfica. Uh, I think they will advance by at least a three-goal margin. I just This team is so incredibly good. Um, they've been showing it in the Champions League. Obviously, Benfica should not be undervalued or uh, underrated because you know they were the ones to knock Barcelona out of the Champions League, which was obviously a massive story in itself, but I just... <laughs> Ajax are performing so, so well, especially in the Champions League. I see them making really easy work of this, honestly, which might be surprising to some people, but Ajax is is a very good team. I know people are thinking they're overrated just because, you know, they've won uh, all of their Champions League games so far, but I see a comfortable win here. Um, Third to only, you know, Bayern and City probably as far as comfort. Interesting, interesting. I mean, we agree on who's going through, but I mean, over two legs, there is potential for, for you know, Ajax to be running up a, a good amount of goals, but I have a feeling it'll be a bit tighter. And then finally, the last tie before we wrap up the episode, um, and this is a juicy one, Atletico Madrid against the sputtering Manchester United, as we've talked about uh, many times in this episode alone. Um, and I, I think... You have to go with Atleti here, uh, to be honest. Just United have not shown me anything th- that that says um, they're going to, you know, have the ability to beat uh, the defending champions of Spain. Um, obviously, Atleti are having a down season. They're in fifth place right now. But, you know, they're defensively very solid. I think the only thing that could save United here is the fact that they do have Mr. Champions League. Obviously, hasn't been looking like it uh, in the Premier League recently, as I said hasn't scored in five games, but would I be entirely shocked to see Ronaldo, you know, score a late winner and United to shite house this in the second leg one nil. No, but I don't think it's going to happen. Wow. You know, I thought that I was going to be picking an upset here uh, with Atletico Madrid, but you seem no, 
very – I mean, it, it will be an upset if Atletico Madrid uh, – are able to go through let's be clear on it because Manchester United are favored they have um twice as good odds to win the entire thing 20 to 1 versus 40 to 1 for Atleti so it is definitely Manchester United are favored probably because of that man you mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo he turns up in the Champions League every single game every single year uh and it is I mean, he, he can snatch a game by himself. There's no doubt about that. And so that's what really uh, probably strikes fear into the Atleti fans, especially, you know, they, they've dealt with it before. Yeah, uh, history. They, yeah, they, they have some history there. Um, but to me, just United are not it right now. They are not nope. up to scratch. Ragnick is not finding a way to, to figure out what the best system is for United and for the players that he has. I just, it's hard to pick them to win. And so I, I will as well go with Atleti. Uh, I thought that was going to be my, you know, upset of the, of the round, but apparently Garrett's with me on that one. He, he, he had a bigger upset in Villarreal. Yeah. I just, I just don't think United are a good team at the moment. I really don't. I don't think Ronaldo's firing, you know, obviously when, when he hears the champions league anthem, he's a little bit of a, of a different animal. Is that going to be enough? I, I, I just don't think so. I, I think United, I think United are crashing out. And with that, Justin, that ends this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's U90Football. We will be back to taking some more questions next week uh, so we can, we can answer those. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the Champions League. It is back, and we'll see you next week.